This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the access to health care question is going to be an important one for the incoming Biden administration. President-elect Biden's goal is to restore much of the ACA so that as many people as possible can have health care coverage. But the question of making sure that people can have access to necessary medical treatment, even when they don't have the money to pay for it, is at the top of the list. Robert Hughes is an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics at the Wharton School. He's authored new research looking at this topic, and he joins us now on the show. Rob, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. I hope you're doing well, too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So lay out your scenario of of how you see this being an issue right now, especially when you're talking about the people that I, I guess the best way to say it is the haves and the have nots. Yeah. Uh, so so we, we have always faced in this country an issue of uh, access to health insurance, uh, and it's becoming more and a, more of an issue now. Uh, with with more people out of work and with with uh, health insurance being time to work uh, in this country, um, and but what I've what I've been advocating um, uh, is uh, I've been advocating Medicare for all, though I don't call it that. I've, I've been working on this project for a while, and I've been making a sort of a conservative case for Medicare for all. Um, I've been arguing that there's actually uh, benefits for liberty and social stability if we all can have access to medically necessary treatment. Let's just think about social stability. Think about the situation of someone who has a child or a spouse who really needs an expensive drug, and that, that's the only way they're going to survive. And the, 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 the spouse or the parent uh, doesn't uh, have the money to uh, afford that drug and doesn't have good insurance or doesn't have insurance at all. Um, they face a real pressure um, to get that drug for their child or their spouse or their other dependent, and they may be tempted to do something illegal. Um, and so there's a, this, uh, this dilemma has been called the Heinz Dilemma because there's a famous story uh, that psychologists actually use to study how people do moral reasoning. Um, and uh, it's called a dilemma because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really hard choice. If we all have access to basic health care that covers the things that we really need, then we don't face those kinds of pressures. We're joined by Rob Hughes, who is Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics at the Warren School. And as you said here and in the paper, this is a discussion which many people find hard to bring up right now, and they really do find it hard to discuss. I think it is. There's, there's, um, there's a, um, uh, I, I have to admit I don't understand it. Um, I, I don't understand why there's so much resistance to the idea of truly universal health insurance uh, in the United States, given that this is something that other industrialized countries just do. Can we do that here in this country, uh, especially with where we are with our healthcare system in general, how it is structured, and, and would it take a significant amount of change in your mind to be able to, to go to a system like you're talking about? I think I think it would be possible. I think there are different routes to getting there. And uh, we might have to, uh, you know, we're not going to have something like Britain's National Health Service in the United States. Um, I think people have been talking about Medicare for all because uh, Canada's culture is closer to ours and um, having a single payer is closer to what we have um, than having a single provider. Um, uh, we would still have privately provided you know, uh, m- many 
uh, different organizations providing the health care, but we'd have a single payer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another possibility uh, is there there are uh, uh, countries, uh, Switzerland is the no- most, maybe the most notable example, that provide genuinely universal health care through uh, subsidized um, uh, uh, private insurance. And that's where the Affordable Care Act was bringing us closer to. Um, where I think we need to get farther is in making sure that um, everyone really does get um, health insurance and the Affordable Care Act didn't get us all the way to that. And making sure that um, all of the health plans are covering the same medically necessary stuff. As you mentioned a moment ago, and you bring up in your paper, this concern of people that may not have the access to the services and willing to take extreme steps to be able to try and help out family members. How extreme are we talking about here? So this is so I'm a philosopher, not a sociologist. I don't know that much about what crimes people have actually committed, um, but. Um, I do know that there are a lot of desperate people. And if you look at um, personal bankruptcy, for example, um, uh, the the statistic is that two-thirds of of personal bankruptcies are related to medical issues, uh, and 28% are related to uh, providing uh, help to friends or relatives. Uh, So um, that's substantial. Here we're not talking about anything criminal here. Uh, but people are going into very serious forms of debt, and people are jeopardizing their, uh, their, you know, their, uh, their, their, the integrity of their finances in order to provide help for themselves and for their relatives. And, and so, to a degree, the people that do end up having the access to it, uh, the people that have more wherewithal, in, in many cases, are are holding holding kind of all of the cards, use a a, a, a poker term, uh, over a lot of the people that that do not have it. Correct. That's right. So, so, so uh, one thing I talk about in, in, in the paper is that people can become dependent on charity. Um, uh, people and and charity takes many forms. There, uh, there's um, direct help from a relative. There's, uh, there's, you know, there's non nonprofit organizations. Lately, we've had people turning to crowdfunding, and um, uh, it's distur- I think it's very disturbing that um, uh, people have to go to. Uh, uh, GoFundMe in order to get their uh, their medical treatments paid for, and it creates a power imbalance. The people who have the money uh, hold a lot of power over people who are turning to them for um, uh, for, for payment for for their medical care or their kids' medical care, um, and that's why I say that that, that um, universal health care, truly universal health care, would be good for people's liberty because you're not really free if you're depending on charity. Um, especially discretionary charity like Kanye see on GoFundMe for uh, a basic need like health care. So are there things you believe that, that we can that can be done to try and uh, alleviate that imbalance? Absolutely. And there's when you say what can be done, there's what could we do if everyone did the right thing? And what could we do given the complexities of American politics? And those are different questions. I think it's totally feasible for us to change the healthcare system if we all were willing to do the right thing, but we're not all willing to do the right right thing. Um, maybe uh, the next uh, viable step um, is to uh, create a, a public option uh, in our, our health insurance system. 
mm. uh, as a step towards having something like um, uh, public insurance that covers uh, everybody, not just people over 65. Um, or, or maybe there are emergency measures possibly related to the pandemic that could be done to uh, set a pattern of um, the, the, the government stepping up to make sure that everybody gets something really basic, like a vaccine or like um, you know, some of these new, uh, uh, they're not experimental anymore. Been, uh, there's been some uh, um, uh, antibody treatments that I understand got, just got emergency approval. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, making sure that everyone gets these things when they really need them. So it's really not an issue of scale in terms of the United States, you know, and the numbers of people that would be involved in these types of systems in comparison to a Switzerland or Norway that, you know, whatever the country might be, that is much, uh, much smaller than the U.S. I don't think it's a matter of scale. I think it's a matter of political will. And I also also think, think it's a matter of path dependence. We've got all of these um, economic structures. We've got all these insurance companies. We've got all of these um, uh, funding structures that are well established, and uh, we can't uh, we can't wave a magic wand and go back to 1946, which is you know the, the World War II is where a lot of this divergence happened. Um, my under I, I'm not a historian, but my understanding of the history is. Uh, a part of the reason that Britain has the National Health Service now is because the National Health Service was established in yeah. World War II to deal with um, health care for displaced population. And a big reason we have private insurance is during World War II, um, uh, we had uh, wage controls and employers wanted to give something to their employer, employees when they couldn't raise wages, so they gave them health insurance. And yeah. now here we are. I, I, I don't see the United States completely uprooting all these institutions, and that means we might need yeah. to um, uh, cr- create a model that keeps a lot of what we have and making making it more accessible to more people rather than creating all new institutions from scratch. And, and that would, and honestly, Rob, I think that that would be quite the challenge to be able to do that, especially when you have such a structure in place for as long as it has been. It's you know, it's very hard, as you as you alluded to, whether it be political or or, or corporate, to have the will to change something like that. The hope is that you would be able to, but but I think from a realistic perspective, I think the challenges are, are you know are quite uh, are quite large right now. I think that's right. And I, you know, I think that's what the Affordable Care Act was trying to do. Um, and it's, it's, it's made some important progress by expanding Medicaid. It's made some important progress by creating the exchanges, which have enabled a significant number of people who didn't have insurance before to get insurance. Um, uh, it, 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 it was, even though it was a monumental piece of legislation that took a lot of political will to pass, yeah. it was a large incremental step, but it was an incremental step. Uh, and one, I, I wish we could be do one, have one big piece of legislation and sure. be done, but unfortunately yeah. we're not done. Rob, thanks very much for your time. All the best. Happy holidays to you. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you too. Thank you. Robert Hughes, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.